spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. It's Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. On 95.5 WSB. Let's get this going on a Saturday morning. Good morning. September 16th, seven minutes after six o'clock, and it's about 62, 63 degrees outside. It feels really good. Fall is on the way. 404-872-0750. Ashley Frasca with you for the next three hours, answering your calls, your questions, anything you want to talk about garden-related. It could be about birds. It could be about erosion. It could be about anything. 404-872-0750. And then on my way to the Cherokee County Master Gardeners plant sale, where I spent about three hours yesterday at the Senior Center in Canton setting up. And then today's the big sale from nine to noon. So come see us there. It's a good time. It's a lot of fun. Love seeing the kids browse the plants too. That's a good time. But as we were setting up, I swear there was, had to be 30 of us milling around the senior center parking lot, setting up the tables, organizing the plants. A lady stole a plant from us. And and I don't know how nobody really noticed it or saw it, but you know, all the plants are out on the tables. They're ready to go. She was kind of looking at a plant. And she just kind of took it off the table, and and one person saw her walk to her car with it and just kind of thought, oh, well, she's going to come back with payment. Well, she didn't. She just put it in her car and drove off. So uh, to that lady, karma, karma, right? But uh, everybody is just working really hard. They take a long time to propagate these plants. A lot of master gardener groups do this as well. So it's kind of a fun thing, supporting your local gardeners as well, if you can Figure out when your local master gardener group or garden club has their plant sale. Lots of seasonal things. Um, what's going on with you? What are you buying right now? Are you ready to start purchasing You know, all of the fall things, the pumpkins, the gourds, the mums? Um, gosh, there's so many. I love them. Snapdragons, too. wanted to talk to you a little bit about snapdragons. This is the first year that mine have survived the entire summer up at the mailbox in full sun, there was many a day that I had to carry the watering can up there and just make sure they were taken care of. And snapdragons, I'd never deadheaded. I don't know why. It just didn't seem as obvious to me how to deadhead a snapdragon versus, you know, a pansy or um, what do I have? Uh, well, violas and things. But what do I have near the front door? Oh, I can't remember. Vinca. Oh, Vinca. Yeah. So, I mean, there, there's things that are quite obvious how you deadhead. But snapdragons, I just finally figured, you know what? Where all the blooms are on the top of the stalk, I'm just going to go underneath where all of the blooms have expired, cut that part of the stalk off. And the lower you keep cutting the stalk, new growth is going to come from the cut, so it actually makes the plants a little bit bushier. They're a little tall right now, but uh, the university, Clemson University, the Home and Garden Information Center, put out a great article recently just reminding us snapdragons are a wonderful fall flower. They won't bloom during the coldest days of winter, but you may have them come back in the spring. They're going to look really interesting. If you've never had a little kid, 
see a snapdragon and actually snap the flower by pushing the base, the the most bulbous part of the bloom. That's actually kind of fun. Uh, So I think they're going to make it. They're going to make it through the fall. I'm going to keep deadheading them, keep them watered. May give them one shot of fertilizer, although that's best done in the spring because they're kind of snapping back too. Um, But, you know, give us a call with any of the questions, the varieties you have. You can get dwarf varieties, any kind of height that you're looking for. If you want something taller as that, you know, center part of a container garden that looks really good, the thriller in the center. Uh, Some other things that are going on right now and something that I posted on the Facebook page as well was a great video from Garden Know How about mums so much more in-depth in this eight- or nine-minute video than anything I've ever heard about chrysanthemums. And really just a good reminder, as you're seeing them at the big box stores now in the nursery and even some of the wholesale clubs, I mean, you can get chrysanthemums just about anywhere this time of year. When you purchase the large container of them, make sure you buy one that all of the buds are still really tight Um, I know it doesn't look as showy. You may have a hard time even seeing what color the flowers are going to be. But if the buds are still really tight, you're going to have your best bet and your longest life out of that mum. And something else that was interesting that I took away from that video was leaving it once it kind of expires and the weather just gets too cold for it. Say you've put it in the ground. Don't cut it. I know it's half dead and it looks leggy and it looks awful. But don't cut it. Leave all of that dead stuff on the plant, especially if it's in the ground, to kind of serve as an insulator over the wintertime. And there's a possibility. You still have a 50-50 shot that it's going to be hardy and then it's going to come back. But you have other conditions uh, for it as well, like, you know, having mulch around it, making sure you maybe pile up some leaves. But all of that dead foliage that you're going to leave on the mum is going to be able to insulate the crown of the plant. And that's what we don't want to die is down at the base of the plant, the crown, and then the roots. So if you leave all of that, it's going to catch all the yard debris and the leaves, and it's going to serve as insulation for it. But check out that video on my Facebook page. It's actually quite interesting. It's something I posted just late yesterday afternoon. Search Facebook for Green and Growing WSB to be able to see that. And speaking of Facebook, our friend Walter Reeves, the Georgia gardener, still very active on Facebook as well, and he put out a good message about the same time I posted the video about the mums, actually. If you follow Georgia Gardener on Facebook, annual bluegrass, Poa annua. We're not seeing it yet, but it's just going to be a matter of time. When the weather gets cooler, it's going to pop up. It's so obvious, those bright green little sprigs of grass, uh, when warm season lawns go dormant, and that green is just so stark up against the dormant lawn. So that is just another reminder, since that is a winter weed, an annual winter weed, it's another reminder to apply a properly timed pre-emergence herbicide now. Right now, we want to get that done by September 15th. That was yesterday. It's not a hard and fast date, but generally what you're wanting to do is do it as soil temperatures are starting to get cooler, triggering those cool season weeds, those winter weeds, So we're looking at maybe the soil temperature definitely being, you know, starting to fall below 70 degrees. It's cooling off quickly. And so that's a trigger for those winter weeds. So get that Poa annual out. And there was a lot of good comments on Walter's post as well. You know, people, it's just a headache for them. A lot of people pull it. Some people live with it. Um, But there was a couple of really good thoughtful questions as well. One was, well, I always thought it was November, Walter, when pre-emergence herbicide goes down. It's now Absolutely, it's now. By the time you're seeing the winter weeds in November, December, it's too late. A pre-emergence herbicide works in the soil. The granular and chemicals stay in the top layers of soil 
to knock back those weeds as the seeds germinate, as the seeds begin to grow into the weeds. That's when it's activated. So if you put it in the soil in November, a lot of those are already out of the seed stage, so it's a little too late. And then someone else asked, well, how can you do pre-emergence if you're overseeding fescue? And that's a great question, and that's a struggle that a lot of us have if we have a fescue lawn. You can't do both. You really have to do one or the other. Um, Over the years of the show, as I've had turf grass specialists at UGA Clint Waltz on year after year and, and a number of times throughout each year, I've, I've just tried to say, okay, but if you wanted to do both, if you wanted to do that pre-emergence herbicide and overseed your fescue, you know, could you wait eight, eight weeks, 10 weeks, 12 weeks? What is the, the cutoff that that pre-emergence herbicide is not going to be effective in the soil anymore, that it's not going to affect new fescue seed? And there's just really no good time. And, and it, it, if you do one or the other first, it still doesn't matter. Um, If you do fescue seed first and you let that germinate, but it's going to germinate slow. Not all the fescue seed is going to sprout at the same time. So even if you wait a number of weeks and then apply a pre-emergence, it still is going to affect some of the fescue seed that was slow to germinate in the ground. Plus, once you've waited that late, it's probably more into October at that point, and you're too late to apply the pre-emergence anyways uh, to really combat the things that you want to. So all of that, keep that in mind. Great questions, though. You actually learn just as much on Facebook when you read some of these posts and maybe click the link and and go to articles that people like Walter post, but you sometimes learn just as much looking at the comments as well. So always keep that in mind. So what's going on on my Facebook page? Well, one of the most exciting things this week was we harvested a pineapple grown on our back deck in Woodstock, Georgia, harvested a pineapple. Couldn't believe it. It hasn't happened to a lot of you. And I don't have a secret. I have no idea how we made that happen. But my mother-in-law cut off the top of a pineapple about three years ago and put it in some good soil, put it in a container for us. And it was tiny. You know, I mean, maybe the leaves were probably, I don't know, probably had a circumference or a, a radial length of maybe 12 inches. They weren't that big. But we just babied that thing. And for two or three winters, brought it in and out, in and out of the house. And as the leaves got a lot bigger and a lot spikier, uh, it was hard to carry that pot in and out of the house, but we did so. And I left it out as long as I could. And then when it just got really cold, had to stick it in a sunny window in the office. But it was this spring that we started seeing a pineapple grow from the center of the leaves on a tall stem, on a stalk, and just kind of didn't really do anything. Didn't fertilize it. Some birds visited it, and they built a nest in there, so maybe that was good for the soil. I don't know. I just let them do their thing. I don't know why they would want a nest there, because the leaves are so sharp. But they they did last year. The little house wren built a nest. But uh, the pineapple finally started to do a little bit of research. It didn't take long. It didn't grow huge, but it didn't take long from about April to where it really started growing to then start turning yellow about two weeks ago. And my husband, I think, looking it up, I didn't have time to really look it up. I was just going to cut it and harvest it whenever. I really didn't think it would be edible. Uh, But he's like, yeah, when it's like two-thirds yellow, that's what I read. It's time to cut it. I said, okay, no problem. So he went ahead and cut it. We cut it up the other night, had it for dinner. It was so sweet. It tasted great. Really, really sweet. So maybe that's a good project with the kids. If y'all buy fresh pineapple at the house and you feel bad about cutting, uh, throwing those pretty leaves away, this may be a fun thing to do. Uh, stick it in some soil. Don't really overthink it. See what happens. 404-872-0750 is the number. When we come back, the top three things to do in the landscape this weekend and also coming up the bottom of the hour with the Maui wildfires in mind and then forest health and forest safety as more folks in North Georgia are going to be 
visiting the mountains and seeing the fall color here in the next month or so, um, I wanted to get in touch with the Georgia Forestry Commission and see what their thoughts were on preventing forest fires, taking care of our forest, what all there is to enjoy there. So I'm going to be speaking with Deputy Director Johnny Sabo at the bottom of the hour with the Georgia Forestry Commission. So we'll be right back. You're listening to 95.5 WSB. The WSB News and Traffic Teams will keep you updated all weekend here on 95.5 WSB. Listen first thing Monday at 5 a.m. for those important news, weather, and traffic updates. Now back to Ashley Fresca and Green and Growing. You want to know how to plan the weekend? It's going to be lovely. Really kind of the first weekend that we've had that feels like fall, football, and everything. Today, a high of around 79, partly to mostly cloudy. You can't rule out the chance for a scattered storm later this afternoon. And then tomorrow, same chance of thunderstorms, about a 40% chance. High of around 80 lows in the 60s, and then the lows are hovering around the 60s. Love that for the early mornings into the work week. The complete forecast comes up in less than 10 minutes. Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Here's your garden to-do list this week. All right, number one, as I was hanging around the Master Gardeners getting ready for this plant sale, there was a lot of talk about dividing perennials. And that's kind of one of the ways we get the plants that we sell is doing that very thing from gardener's yards. So with that in mind, divide things like daylilies, irises, monkey grass, while the weather is still warm to encourage root growth. Now, the leafy things like the the bulbs, irises, and things like that, you don't have to do now. You don't have to divide or transplant right now. You can even wait until that foliage turns a little bit yellow. And don't cut it off. Leave it on the bulb, but then you can transplant those as well at that time. Number two, uh, from the Southern Living Plant Collection, this was good. Late summer fertilizations to trees and shrubs. What that's doing, it's encouraging new growth. It may not harden off by the first freeze. So you really don't want this new tender growth on these plants hanging out for the next couple of months, then all of a sudden. But you can fertilize blackberries after harvest and June-bearing strawberries and vegetable crops that need it. So maybe take a step back with the perennial things, even like hydrangeas and such. You don't really need to be feeding those right now as they're kind of trying to store their energy and shut down. And number three, before planting fescue seed, if that's the route you're going to go, you don't need to use that pre-emergence herbicide, but you're like, you know what? I've got a good strand of fescue out in the yard. I just have a couple of bare spots. Weeds aren't really an issue. I'm going to overseed. Well, October is a perfect time to do that. But if you're going to do it, start taking the time now before you've bought the seed and all of that. Wipe out the weeds with a fast-acting but short-lived weed killer. Wait at least seven days before seeding. Optimum time for seeding, new lawns and overseeding established yards here in Georgia is October, as I said. And it's so important to do good soil prep. Otherwise, you're wasting your time and your money if you're overseeding fescue. Yes, we have that Georgia red clay. It's very compacted. It's very hard. Mine is anyways. I can't really pull weeds unless it's after a rain. Otherwise, the soil and the ground is just too hard. So with that being said, to get really good seed to soil contact and make sure that seed's viable, you want to aerate. If you have to rent an aerator, pay someone to do it, it's very, very important to aerate the lawn first. And all grasses and lawns benefit from that two to three times a year. All it's doing is breaking up that soil, allowing the seed to settle in. You're also removing the weeds, as I said, to kind of make for more room in the fescue. And you've got to be committed to keeping that seed watered again, or else you're wasting your time, you're wasting your money. So go ahead and talk it over with the family, set up a system for the sprinklers, get the routes for the hoses and things that you're going to need to be doing in the dry spells in the fall. When we're not having any rainfall, you've got to water an inch a week at least 
for that seed to be viable, germinate, become grass. 404-872-0750. When we come back, we'll be talking to the Georgia Forestry Commission right here. You're listening to Green and Growing on WSB. with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. On 95.5 WSB. Good Saturday morning. We're back together again. Ashley Frasca hosting Green and Growing and getting back to your calls soon. 404-872-0750. Can't wait to see what's on your mind today. But something that's been top of mind for me, and you've heard the stories in the news over the last month, month and a half, are those wildfires in Maui, right? And how devastating that was for the state of Hawaii. And we're getting to cooler weather, folks spending a lot more time outdoors, and hopefully enjoying some of the forests here in Georgia, especially North Georgia. What a beautiful part of the country. So I've got with me today Johnny Sabo, the Deputy Director of the Georgia Forestry Commission, to have a little chat about those things. Johnny, good morning. Good morning, Ashley. How are you? I am so thrilled to have you on. Thanks for being here this morning. Oh, you're welcome. Happy to be here. So we were really, really wet in June. I was talking to our meteorologist, Christina Edwards, Johnny, and just had like up to 10 inches of rain, most parts of Georgia for June. And then July and August just got really, really hot, a little bit dry. And here we are going into the fall season. And I want you to kind of educate folks on where we stand with the risk of wildfires and forest fires here in Georgia. You know, yes, it was happening in Maui. And we remember Gatlinburg, Tennessee years ago. But is that even on Georgia's radar? Oh, absolutely. And thank you for asking the question. So we have had a, a wetter spring than normal. Uh, we're, we're below our average right now for this time of year, which is a good thing, which is allowing us to help other states such as Louisiana and Texas. We, we have some of our partnered southern states that are experiencing devastating wildfires as well. So really, really close to home. So as we move into the fall, October is historically a dry month for North Georgia. And with the fall comes dry, cool fronts, Folks getting outdoors and more exposure and escape debris burning is our number one cause of wildfire in Georgia. So we do really pay attention to our, our upcoming fall, we'll call it wildfire season in the North Georgia mountains. So we, we try to educate folks, talk with folks such as yourself, and get out there and just make folks aware of while they're enjoying the mountains, also precautions that they can take. You know, we have hurricane season, we have tornado season. Is there really a season, like a number of months that you all really target in and, and hone in on as wildfire season? Wildfires in Georgia are year-round, okay. but there, there are peak seasons. For the mountains, for North Georgia, it is really in the fall. And then for South Georgia, the spring, uh, April, May, June, we really start hitting our peak wildfires. And Johnny, in the case of a wildfire, when one is observed or reported to the Georgia Forestry Commission, what tools do you all have to really keep track of the wildfires and keep them contained? Right. Great question. So for tracking the wildfires, the, the first thing we do is once again, paying attention to the weather, to the, the day, the time of year. Um, if we had a dry front move through or a lightning storm, we have patrol planes that we will put up and we will grid the state in sections looking for smoke, just checking for wildfire. So we have trained pilots who are wildland firefighter trained wow. and who know what to look for. Having said that, a lot of wildfires are called in by the public by, you know, through, through the 911 system. And once our crews are dispatched to a fire, every single one of our wildland firefighters is trained to a standard of assuming command and, and be able to determine what resources they need, what action they need to take to extinguish the fire. 
Uh, depending on where you are in the state, we may use a bulldozer, some heavy equipment. Um, a lot of times for us, removing the fuel from the fire, so essentially pushing a line in is, is how we extinguish a fire. Where a fire department uses water, for wildland firefighters, we try to remove the fuel. In the mountains, believe it or not, we can even fight fire with leaf blowers. So the same concept as the as a tractor. We use a leaf blower along the ridges of the mountains, and we can blow the leaves and the fuel out of the way and cut a pretty quick line. And such a big team of foresters throughout the state that monitor things. Give us kind of an idea of what these men and women are doing as far as it pertains to forest protection and then forest management as well. We're really split into two large operations. And they overlap a good bit. Forest management at its heart are your professional foresters who are out there working with landowners, working with the public, giving advice, helping to do everything from plant trees to how to properly harvest trees, uh, even working within the cities and the Tree City USAs and programs such. And, And they also are advocates and promote prescribed fire, which is where a lot of the overlap happens. Forest protection are wildland firefighters. And their job is, is, number one, is emergency response. So we're staffed. We have on-call folks who, at a moment's notice, they are headed to the office getting their equipment and you know, ready to serve the public. I'm glad you mentioned prescribed burning. So, Johnny, tell us why we need those, why they're important. Kind of educate the public on the necessity of them. Yeah, so prescribed fire is exactly like it sounds. It, it, it is lighting a fire, but it's under a prescribed set of circumstances. Uh, foresters and wildland firefighters alike, they go out and they, they look at the specific track and they determine everything from wind direction to humidity, day since rain, a number of weather factors to light the light that ground on fire, you know, under the best conditions possible to where we can control the fire. And in doing so, there's a wide variety of benefits the main one for, for wildfire response is it actually removes the fuel, the underbrush, and if we do have a wildfire in the area, the wildfire is less catastrophic. Hmm. From a forest health standpoint, there's a lot of species in the state, a lot of species in the southeast that really depend on wildfire, both, both flora and fauna, that need it for the health of their ecosystem. Yeah, I read something a long time ago, and I don't even think it was a bird in Georgia, or it was some kind of woodpecker, you may know better than me, Johnny, that actually is able to feed off the trees where it's kind of like ashen, you know, and and he would depend on insects and things that have actually been through fires. Right, so I I believe you're talking about a red-cockaded woodpecker. Yes. And you see those a lot in the southern, or I shouldn't say a lot, we we, we have those in the southern part of the state, that they are a threatened species, and... They really depend on a, a certain type of pine tree species, a longleaf pine. They depend on having a very, very open canopy with little mid-story and a lot of grasses and ground cover for so that they can fly through the trees. They can feed off the insects on the ground, and that ecosystem is very specific and very dependent on prescribed fire. Interesting. Bring us up to speed on what the current state of forest health is in Georgia. And me presenting that to you, that probably means something a lot more in-depth than than how I'm asking it. But, um, you know, maybe some of the insects or species that uh, foresters are looking into being at, you know, infestations that are at a threatening level or invasive species that y'all are on the lookout for. One of the species that Georgia Forest Commission is always paying attention to is southern pine beetle. Right. It, it is a local species. It's, it's not a... In, it, it's not an exotic species, but it can be invasive. 
and we actually just concluded a, a survey. We verified 138 southern pine beetle spots across the state. And so what we do is we, we contact those landowners and make sure that they understand that, you know, one, what they have, how to manage it. Usually it can be managed through sound force, forestry practices such as thinning, logging around the site, just, just normal practices that we would, you know, we would do. Typically we see southern pine beetle and overstock stands that maybe haven't paid attention to as much. Once they get going, they can be a destructive species, so they it is something we pay attention to this time of the year. And from a distance, just the casual observer like myself, how is that noticed in the forest? Like, what are some of the symptoms? What would the pine trees look like after that? It's almost easier to spot from the air, and that's that's how we do it. We conduct our surveys with our planes, and it'll almost resemble a, a wildfire. You'll see a bunch of brown needles on a tree, and it'll start moving in, in one direction and start spreading that way. So you'll you'll actually see the pine trees start dying, and you can spot the the pine trees. So southern pine beetle, really a scary one for a lot of folks. Uh, speaking with Johnny Sabo, who's the deputy director of the Georgia Forestry Commission, a couple more things from you, Johnny. First of all, what messages would you want to send folks? You know, we welcome everybody from other states that flood North Georgia in October for the brilliant leaf color. We're so blessed to have that here in the North Georgia mountains. And even folks, residents of Georgia, who maybe don't spend a lot of time uh, up in the mountains, but safety messages for folks that are planning on a, a voyage to the forest this fall. First and foremost, I'd to listen and pay attention to your local authorities. You know, under, understand your surroundings and what's going on. It, it, are we extremely dry? Uh, are there wildfires near you? So doing a little bit of research and homework, you can reach out at, to any one of our offices. You know, before going out, if you have any questions, you can, you can locate us at gatrees.org. But also understanding that the fall season in the mountains, we do experience peak wildfires around then. And the leaf, that leaf fall combined with dry cold fronts, the lower humidities, which we all enjoy outside, but all that plays into a, into a factor to have increased wildfire activity. So while it feels better outside for us, it also increases the, our threat of wildfires. So just being cautious that, you know, humans aren't the cause to, to ignite that wildfire that could be devastating. Johnny, thank you so much for that. Folks need to really keep those things in mind. And again, pay attention to the website, gatrees.org, the Georgia Forestry Commission's website, before you plan your trip to North Georgia. And Johnny, my favorite month of the year is October. And one of your colleagues is going to be back on Green and Growing next month to share with us some really exciting stuff. That's right. Uh, Seth Hawkins will be joining you every Saturday in October for Leaf Watch. Seth works with our other foresters to capture pictures from around the state to to help track where the leaves are turning and, and make sure that your listeners you know, know where that peak leaf watch is. Ah, so excited. Love this time of year, and we are blessed to live in Georgia. Well, Johnny Sabo, thank you so much for helping educate all of us and spending time on the show today. All right. Thank you, Ashley. All right. When we come back, the top three things to do in the landscape this weekend, you're listening to 95.5 WSB. We hope you'll join us all week on Atlanta's Morning News, starting Monday at 5 a.m. With triple team traffic every six minutes to help your commute. Now back to Ashley Frasca and her great gardening advice on 95.5 WSB. Atlanta's News and Talk. 
The weather update brought to you by Finley Roofing and our own meteorologist Christina Edwards predicting a 40% chance for scattered thunderstorms possible in the afternoon today. But overall, it's going to be partly to mostly cloudy with a high of around 79. It's going to feel really good and compared to what it has been. And tomorrow, a high around the same, low around 61. And as we start the work week, looking at mostly sunny skies and highs hovering in the low 80s. Green, Green and growing. Ashley Frasca's top three things to do this weekend. All right. Start thinking about this. Number one, before planting fescue seed, we're coming up on October, which is the best month for that. You want to work to wipe out some of the weeds with fast-acting but short-lived weed killer. Use things that are selective that aren't going to injure the fescue you've got there now. Wait at least seven days before seeding. And you're going to have a fine time with that. It's still a little too warm to seed, but we're getting close. Optimum time for seeding new lawns and overseeding established yards here in Georgia is October with another chance for really uh, making that fescue lawn a little more vigorous, say, in March. Number two from the Southern Living Plant Collection. This was just a great reminder that I saw that they posted late summer fertilizations to trees and shrubs encourage new growth. And you think, well, that's okay. Fall, it's great but may not harden off by the first freeze. You don't want any of that tender new growth to get damaged by a freeze that comes quickly. So uh, things you can fertilize if you're just itching to do so. Some of your vegetable crops that need it, if you've already done the installations of your cool season vegetable beds, that's great. Also fertilize blackberries after harvest and June-bearing strawberries. Now we know there's, you know, different plants and different varieties of strawberries that you can plant. So those June bearing ones where you just kind of get all the berries at one time, good time to fertilize those now. But then you also have some that are going to give you berries throughout the year and just taking good care of those strawberry beds in the off season. And number three, time to divide daylilies, iris, monkey grass, among other things, maybe uh, sedum, some autumn joy sedum, a good time to divide that as well. While the weather is still warm to encourage root growth and something I'm going to be working on too, Ground covers. I've got a juga, and I love it. Bugleweed, a juga. It looks really good. It grows low, uh, big, flat leaves of like a deep purple. You know, they're they're a dark green and then a deep purple. And they do get a really pretty little flower stalk that's like light purple flowers um, in the spring and summer. But otherwise, just now is a good time. If that stuff just is creeping and crawling and ending up in places in the yard that you didn't intend for it to be, it would also be a fine time to start working on dividing that and transplanting that. Um, Something I read yesterday as I was looking up a question from a listener about, you know, my knockout roses are starting to look a little funky. What's going on? But the picture he submitted didn't necessarily look like rose rosette. Thank goodness. Uh, Some of the leaves are starting to curl. But one of the indicators of rose rosette disease would be dark red growth from the tips of the plant. And it just looks so weird because it's dark red and it's really... Uh, voluminous from the the tips of the existing branches and things like that. So that's not what this guy had. But in doing a little bit of research, uh, Texas A&M, I think, wrote up an article about rose jelly. I'd never heard of that. I'm a Southern girl, but my, my mom and my grandmother didn't do a whole lot of canning that I was aware of. So jelly was not on our radar in my kitchen at home. But rose petal jelly. Who knew? You need a lot of rose petals from a knockout rose, though, to really make that work and pectin and some other things. And then, wouldn't you know it, just less than 24 hours later, see an article about kudzu jelly. Kudzu blossoms can be made into jelly. So if there's maybe one good thing that comes out of kudzu and you're able to get into the places where it's growing like crazy without fear of snakes or falling into a hole and you can harvest the blossoms of kudzu, 
made into jelly. The leaves, similar to spinach, are used in cooking, while the root is used as starch and sauces and herbal drinks. I don't know. I'm going to stay away from that, but that's interesting. So any experiences you have in canning as well, hanging out with the Master Gardeners as much as I have this week, really enjoying my time with the Cherokee County Master Gardeners, sharing some stuff that they've canned. Um, some cowboy jalapenos is, is what she's called them. I don't know if they're going to be sweet or not, but they're canned. We're going to try that. Some monkey butter jelly. So kind of a, a mix of some coconut, some pineapple, really pale pink, nice looking jelly that she's like, use it on toast, use it over a block of cream cheese, anything else. Has a dehydrator and dehydrated some jalapenos and made like a, a seasoning, a dry uh, rub or seasoning, which I'm anxious to use on burgers. So all kinds of really good things you could do if you have the skill and you have the time. Uh, coming up, your calls to start hour number two of the show. Live in studio with you this morning on this cool Saturday morning. 404-872-0750. You're listening to Green and Growing right here on 95.5 WSB. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.